today. If, uh, if you are finding this and you're like, where can I find the studies that you guys have already done? There's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, you can go to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, uh, which some of you are watching that right now, and click playlist. And you'll see on the playlist all the Bible studies that have been recorded and, and put on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel are there. Uh, if you would, uh, you can also listen to them uh, while you're on the road or listen to them at home on the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. Uh, that is another option for you to use. Or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, and these are audio only as well. And just click on the listen button there at BurgessMinistries.com. And on that particular option, you can go all the way back uh, probably two and a half to three years of the four years uh, that we have been doing this. Uh, so that's, that's a way for you to go back and catch anything that you missed. But today, if this is your first day to be with us, you're starting fresh because it is the first installment uh, of us walking through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John uh, is, uh, is, is long and there's a lot there. Uh, so I don't know how long we're going to do this. Uh, I, I, I just kind of prayed about it. I don't feel the pressure to try to get a chapter in in every session because I just don't think that's possible. Uh, there may be some chapters we can get mostly through it, but we're just going to get to where we get uh, each week and then work, work through this slowly and methodically. And as, when I give you the introduction to the Gospel of John, you may understand why we will be doing that. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Uh, and then we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for being with us uh, today. I pray that your presence just fill this room. Uh, I pray that people who, uh, no matter where they're watching or where they might be listening to this, I pray that their hearts will be pierced uh, just by the power that is you. And Lord, we, we start this journey uh, where the Apostle John sat down and as he, he said so beautifully, if he documented every single thing you did and every single thing you said, uh, there would not be enough room on the planet to fill everything he could say about you. Uh, but thank you for inspiring him through the presence of the Holy Spirit to get down on what we're going to consume today as it's been breathed out by you. And, and I pray, Lord, that by the time we get to the end of this study that we're never the same. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, so the Gospel of John. Uh, if if you if you know, um, uh, kind of, you know, I'm kind of a nutshell guy. Some of you that are new to the program, uh, new to this Bible study. The good news for you is I'm going to take the depth of, of the Word of God and I will try to break it down in language that a C student from Calhoun County, Alabama, can understand. Uh, and uh, and so that that will take place uh, because uh, these, I try to put these things in a nutshell. Well, John did the same thing, and and I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 20. Verse 31, and I love this because this is when John at the end of the book says, I'm just going to kind of summarize why I did this. He said, but these, these things that we're about to start through, he said, they were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why I'm doing it. Uh, so, so one thing with a lot of you that may say, well, Rick, I've been a follower of Jesus for, for a very long time. Well, good. I'm glad. And, and I hope that you have been maturing and being sanctified. But, that, but, but anytime you want to truly, uh, you know, one of the things that we do if you don't want to waver on something is that that's what? To constantly be reminded or to have moments you're reminded of what you believe and why you believe it. So we will definitely do that in the Gospel of John. Here's the great news for some of you that are seeking, some of you that may be watching, some of you in the room. You're kind of seeking, you're kind of searching. Every single time that I'm talking to someone that's in that situation and they're starting to seek and they're reaching out or maybe they just made the decision to be redeemed by Jesus and they'll say, what do you think the first thing I need to do? Nine out of ten times I say, read the Gospel of John. 
Read the Gospel of John, you know, because the Gospels all have, you know, the, the four Gospels. And some people mistakenly will say, well, the four Gospels, they all kind of say the same thing. That's incorrect. Uh, each Gospel is God-inspired to, to have a specific role. And, and I'll tell you what those are, and then we'll kind of get in. Now, some of you have been texting me saying, is there anything that we could be following along that you're, that you're using to prepare to teach the Gospel of John? And, and the thing is, I, it's not one thing. Uh, it's, it's a number of things. Uh, first of all, I'm not going to be comfortable with you spending time with my wife because she's helped me through this. So you, you can't have access to her. Uh, so there, there's the things that Sherry Burgess has taught me in this. And we've talked about uh, my own biblical scholar. Uh, I, there are some commentaries uh, that we've looked at. And here's what I've done with the commentaries. And those of you here that, that teach, and, and uh, you, you probably understand this, when you start dealing with commentaries, you've got to be very careful. And so, first of all, I, I talk to people that I, that I think uh, are pretty solid and that, that say, what are some commentaries you would suggest? But then you take those commentaries and you kind of lay them on top of each other. And what I'm trying to do is to glean from the commentaries into the thing the Holy Spirit's showing me, things that seem to be in unison. Everybody pretty much seems to agree. On these things where people start this and that, I'm not going to fool with those. Uh, because I just, I don't know what good that's going to serve. Uh, I might for sometimes for interest's sake, you know, like there are some people and there are very, very few that think this was written by another John other than uh, uh, John the Apostle who was with Jesus. And, and I, don't, I don't think we'll go very far down that road. It's pretty obvious that it is written by John, the son of Zebedee. This is James's brother, John and James, uh, the sons of thunder. But let's talk about this particular gospel. First of all, Matthew, Matthew is a Jew and, and Matthew's job with his gospel that he was handed down. That's why you see all the genealogy in Matthew, because this is a Jew talking to Jews. Uh, and he is saying, look, I want you to know this is the king. So he, he talks about Jesus the king. This is the king, Messiah, that we know in prophecy who we should be looking for. So he's trying to point to, to, to the Jewish people, and they were really big on genealogy. So he wanted to lay out all that for them, because that was big in the Jewish culture to say this is the seed of David. This is the king, Jesus we should have been looking for. Then you take Mark. Now Mark is interviewing Peter. So really, Mark's gospel is from the perspective of Peter, and Mark is taking all this down, and Mark, his gospel is mainly talking to the Romans, the people that are in the Roman Empire, and what they understood was what? Slavery. So Mark, interviewing Peter, he's presenting Jesus as the servant. Jesus has come to serve. So we have Matthew, Jesus the king. We have Mark, Jesus the servant. Uh, then there's Luke, the only Gentile. And, and of course, Luke, uh, we know, was a physician. He, he, he had high education. Uh, we know he wrote uh, uh, really most, if you look at the, the volume, most of the New Testament because of how big Acts is and the book of Luke. But he's looking at this and what he's trying to do, he, he's now a Gentile and he's also talking to the Gentiles and he's talking to the Greeks. Well, the Greeks, what did they worship? human beings. I mean, the, the Greeks, you know, this is the great time that we went through, when we went through the grand when Paul was looking at all the different uh, statues they had and all the different idols. And then he walks over to the one that doesn't have any name. Uh, and he says, okay, this one represents who I'm trying to tell you about, which was really cool strategy because that was their kind of catch-all. If, if we didn't get the right God, this idol right here, it, it's a catch-all. Whatever God we didn't mention, this is why this is here. And, of course, that's when Paul uses the example to point them uh, to Christ. So Luke kind of takes that same mentality. And what Luke wants you to know is that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man. He, he's talking about, he basically says, if you look at some of the Greek, this is the God-man. 
You know, Luke's concentrated on the 100% man side of Jesus that he has come and God has taken on human flesh and has become a, a human being. And then... And he's also presents him as the sympathetic friend uh, that that has been you know uh, has been despised by those who those who rejected him, uh, and he is here to be the answer to the sinners who also feel like they have been despised. So then you get to John. So what is John doing? Well, John's role, it's interesting with the Gospel of John, most people believe it was written around 70 AD, and most everyone agrees that this was the last gospel. It was written after the others. And, and we also know this, the reason why that John was able to do that is John was not martyred. Uh, all the others were martyred, uh, and we can't really identify how John actually died. We know that he was cast out to Patmos where we got the Revelation, and some believe he wrote the Gospel of John and the Revelation all while he was in exile. Uh, that, that's up for debate, certainly, but, but they, they believe that. But this one also came last because there, it was a little bit different when you had the new church than, sadly, some of the churches today. Uh, they were so excited and they were so on fire for, the, for, for what had happened and what God had done through Jesus Christ. And they had read Matthew and they had read Mark and they had read Luke and they really were coming, coming to John saying, tell us more. We want to know more about Jesus. T tell us some other things that, that these guys didn't cover. We, we want more. We want more. Tell us more. You know, now the church says, that, I'm good. I don't want to know that. That, that. That's enough Jesus for me. Can I be saved and then not be hassled the rest of my life? That's good for me. That was not the attitude of the early church, nor should it be the attitude of, 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 of today's church. We should be saying, give us more Jesus. We want to know everything we want, anything we could possibly know about Jesus because that's the attitude we have about everything else we deem of value. So, so what we're going to do is John's going to say, I'll tell you as much as I can do. There's no way I can do it all. And so his job was what? To take Jesus. We had the king. Uh, we, we, we had the servant. And we had the man. But now what, what, what John is going to say is, I'm telling you that Jesus is God. I'm going to show you that Jesus is 100% God. And you'll find as we go through this, you won't see John using the word miracle. He used the word sign because he wants you to know this is a sign that he is God, which is what Jesus said. He said, I'm doing this so that you know who I am, that I am who I say I am. So he, he's going to introduce right out of the gate, he's going to introduce Jesus as the word incarnate. Now, now, he's going to give us a variety of portraits, and, and each one will address different human needs that we have. And this is one of the beautiful things that Sherry and I were talking about. What John wants you to know, whatever is your human need, Jesus has provided it. Jesus encompasses everything. What, whatever the question, Jesus is the answer. It's just like we've been talking about with the men's ministry part of what we're doing here, which is how all this birth and continues in this room. You have only men. I know that there are women who, who, who watch this, and that's great. You're welcome. But it's one of the things that I like about this because there's so much confusion going on in the world today about what, it, what, what, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Uh, is, does gender even matter? Now, you'll see we'll talk about this uh, when we get deeper into this gospel. But here's the bottom line. If you want to be a man, follow Jesus. That's it. 
hey, hey, am I the kind of man I should be? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then yes. Because if you're a follower of Jesus and that influence that God gave every man, now that influence is under the authority of Jesus. Uh, this is God in His fullness. I, we're going to talk more about that today. I'm going to give you, all, I'll give you everything God offers. I, 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 it, it's available to you through me. So if that's happened in your life, now you're a man walking under the authority of Jesus. So now you are that asset to the church. You are that asset to your family. You are that asset to society and the asset to the world. But if you're not under the authority of Jesus, I, I don't care. If, see, if you're living under the world's example, I don't care how athletic you were. I don't care how successful you've been. I don't care how much you hunt. I don't care how much you fish. I don't care how many mountains you climb. I don't care how much weight you can lift. I don't care how many fights you've won. If you're not under the authority of Jesus, you're not a man. Now you're a hassle. Now you're a detriment. And now you're an obstacle that everybody has to overcome. So you're going to hear me say this and never apologize. I will never apologize because it was Holy Spirit given that the answer to how to be a man is to follow Jesus. So, 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 and, and hey, that ought, to, that, ought to, that ought to make things a little easier for you to grasp. So let's go to chapter one and let's, let's, let's just jump right in. Uh, so let's talk about, let's, I mean, you talk about the depth. Of, I've been intimidated by this and I'll tell you why, because right out of the gate, we're going to say something that's pretty deep. So here's what John says. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I love this. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. So first of all, he says, look, this, this, this is the Son of God. And, 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 and I, I love what he's saying when he starts talking about the Word, because I want, I want to be clear on this. He is not talking about us worshiping the written Word or the Scriptures. They're important, and they're, they're God's revelation about Himself, and they're God-breathed, and they should be held in, 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 in very high regard. But we don't worship the Bible. We don't, I mean, I had somebody one time talking about, of course, this was probably an excuse because it was a man and men tend to make a lot of excuses about things. And the Bible was not marked up. There wasn't anything underlined. There was nothing written in the margins and, and whatever. And we were kind of talking and everybody was getting their Bibles out and all of ours were marked up. He goes, well, I just, I just don't know about how I feel about putting marks in the Bible. And I thought to myself, give me a break. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Suddenly he's going to be so reverent about the Word of God, he doesn't make any notes in it or underline anything. But what probably the truth was is the fact that this thing looks so new and the fact there wasn't anything written in the margins and anything underlined was probably because it don't get open a whole lot. But this was his sanctimonious, pious moment to let us all know that he just holds the Word of God in such a place that he doesn't know where he should write in it. Write it all you want to. Okay, as a matter of fact, we said, what, the cheapest pen is better than the greatest memory. Uh, and, and what I like is, and that came from Adrian Rogers, what I like is the fact that when I look in the Word of God and I see these things underlined and I see notes out the side, here's a bizarre concept. It actually reminds me of what I learned that day. 
So, so anyway, so let's talk about this. So we're not talking about worship, worshiping Scripture. We're not talking about wor- worshiping prophets. We're not talking about worshiping apostles. And I know that flies in the face of some of your theology, but I'm sorry. We are not to worship anything. They're all merely instruments, messengers of God to introduce Himself, His message to the world. Our object of adoration and worship is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, period. We don't worship anything else. Amen. We don't worship anything else. Not that these things aren't important, but they are not the object of our adoration. We worship God and God alone, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So John is introducing the divinity and the preexistence of Christ. Now, there's some strategy here. He's speaking to Jews and Gentiles at the same time. And John adopted language which would appeal to them and be accepted by the reader, whether that reader be Greek or whether that that reader be Jewish. He's introducing Christ as the Word who was with God and who was God. Now, why is that that important? Well, first of all, there's the Greeks. Uh, The word's actually logos. So the word logos, the, that's the Greek uh, you know, language for, for word, and the Greeks loved language. I mean, they loved it, and they did worship it. Uh, it, it was the language of the intellectuals, and, and the Greeks thought of logos as, as more than just human reasoning or speech. Logos to the Greeks, I mean, this, this was a generative principle in nature, which, which also controls the universe. Above all to the Greek mind, logos was the soul of the world. And John knows that. So what he's saying is, if you're reading this and you're Greek, I want you to know that you, got, you, you hold the word logos in very high regard. Jesus is logos. Jesus, Jesus did, did create the universe. Jesus is in all things. You're right. He is the soul of the entire world. Now, for the Jewish readers, uh, th- th- this was different. It made their minds be stimulated to what? The Old Testament. Because see, now he's, he's going to the Greeks. They don't have prophecy. So he's got to get them realizing that Logos, what it means then. Well, he's got to move over here to the Jewish people and say, i got to show you that this is, this is the Messiah. This is prophecy. And so I, I want you to know that, th- that Jesus is and was God and has always been God and has always been here. So the Jewish reader, they're thinking about phrases from, from the Old Testament that said what? And the Lord said and uh, the, the word of the Lord. This is the word from the Lord. And so what they're realizing, and they're now opening up, going all the way back to, to Genesis. And, and, of course, if you look at, and, and one of you, who was it, said, I think it was Rush, said when you go and read the first part of John, you always go back and read Genesis 1 because it's, it's really saying the same thing. And so John is pointing them back, the Jewish reader, saying, you remember, remember what God said, how he spoke creation with words? He spoke it. I'm pointing you back that Jesus is God. And so they're, they're trying to see that at the same time the, the Greek reader is obsessing over, over Logos. He said, the word of the Lord is an effective agent in fulfilling God's will. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Uh, how about this? I love this. It says, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. That was, they knew that from Psalms 33.6. But 33.6 says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And look, and John's going, that's Jesus. He, he has always been. So, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I was sent. That is Isaiah prophesying in, in, in Isaiah 55, 11 about who? Jesus. 
And, and see, John wants them to know that. He said, think about when I say he was the, when I say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I'm telling you, Jesus is the word. Isaiah was talking about it when he said, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God, the father saying, I'm sending out the word. See, so you see how he's trying to appeal to both readers. Does that make sense to you? Everybody still with me? So, so this is why he's using this language. So, so he said that God, when God speaks, something happens, and the people knew that. Jesus Christ, and I love this. Are you ready? Somebody write. Everybody, y'all ready to write something down? Here it comes. When God speaks, something happens. Jesus Christ is God's most direct means of communication to the world. Jesus. There's no more direct message than God has ever sent than Jesus. And so this is what this is what he is trying to show. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, uh, flip over to Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. This is Paul now agreeing with what John has said. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, look, he goes on. Then he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Does that sound familiar? That's what John's saying. They're all agreeing, look, Jesus, Jesus was there. I mean, it's a triune God. They've never, they, they, they've been, it's, it's been one God and three persons from the very beginning. And Jesus is where all creation flows from. And you know, the cool thing about that, and I remember the first time I saw this, uh, it, it came from, um, it came from Louis Giglio. I think it's the first time I saw it. I've actually heard somebody else talking about it recently. And I actually used it when I had the French student stay with me who was a, a seeker and didn't believe in God at all. And so I showed him laminin. You know, laminin is this tiny little, it holds our entire body together. Without laminin, none of us would exist. Our whole existence would fall apart. When we put laminin under a microscope, and you can Google this later, guess what shape it is? The cross. And and I got to tell you, that that little Frenchie saw that, and he was like, he said, well, that's just a coincidence. I said, well, it's a dandy. (laughs) And uh, and, and so, uh, uh, and... And, and how about this? The Hubble telescope. Have you seen this? The Whirlpool Galaxy. Have you seen that? We're going out. I, I, what was told me, it made my mind hurt so bad I couldn't listen anymore. But it's like, it's like if we were able to travel like 800 and something or 1,800 miles per hour, it would take us like 36 million years to get to the Whirlpool Galaxy. I don't think my numbers are right, but it's something mind-boggling like that. (laughs) Guess what the Hubble telescope has seen when it looked at the Whirlpool Galaxy? The cross. Another coincidence, I'm sure, but hey, it's a dandy. Uh, so, So anyway, 
So, so this is what he's saying. So, so in Jesus, all things hold together. The word incarnate. Uh, write this down. You want to go look at this prophecy too. Isaiah 9, 6. I'm not going to read through all these. Isaiah 9, 6. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In Jesus, for the first time, humans will not only witness the message from God, but also the manifestation of God in the person of Jesus. You know, we're going to get to this in a minute. And, and, I mean, not today, but we'll get to it next week. It gives me chills already. Already, That's why John the Baptist, we'll get to this later, says, here it is. You know, isn't it cool, too? And we'll get into this later. I mean, John had been told, just keep doing what I told you to do. Keep baptizing people with water, and you would be looking for him. And when he shows up, you're going to see the Holy Spirit ascend on him. John, you're going to see it. And just John's going through his regular day, and all of a sudden... Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Hey, God, God, He's here. He, 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 he has come to us because we could not go to Him. The manifestation of God in the person of Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. Why? That don't, that, that's really important, especially for my new guys and some of you that may be out there learning some of this. This is important because you've got to be careful. There's, there's, some, there's some false theology out there and there's some cults and false religions and you've got to be real careful and sometimes that can be very kind people and very nice but if you hear any presentation that takes Jesus and lowers him to anything less than deity that's blasphemy because if Jesus was not 100% man and not 100% God then he's not the final sacrifice then that didn't take and we're doomed that had to be the final sacrifice. That had to be the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God had to be perfect uh, human and had to be completely deity for God. God had to pay the price for us when He took on human flesh. So just think about this. This is something to think about. The God of the universe, wrap your mind on that. Hang on for Don't let that get by. The God of the universe so intensely desired to communicate His intentions of love and true fulfillment to His creation that He became one of us. I'm going to say that again. The God of the universe, and this is what John's trying to, he's trying to show us what happened. The God of the universe so intensely desired to communicate His intentions of love and true fulfillment to His creation that he became one of us. Amen. There's those moments in my life where God was calling me. And I can remember them. Now, sadly, a lot of times I would say, no, thank you. But he would call me. And I remember so vividly one of these. One of my first jobs in radio was, was spinning the hits at AM 1390 WHMA. So thankful to Malcolm Street and Rob Street. Uh, Mike Paris, some of the first men that gave me an opportunity to work at a commercial radio station. And I remember that one of the things that we always had to play while I was rocking afternoon drive <laughs> in Anniston, Alabama, was Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember so vividly, and, and it, it's just like it was one of those perfect days. It was cold, and it was crisp, and it was blustery. And I was sitting in that little AM studio, and Paul Harvey, first time I ever heard him tell about the man and the birds. Do you remember this famous story, the man and the birds? Yeah. It ties into this. God coming to us. And it was about the crusty old man 
who his wife and children would go off to church and he wouldn't go because he didn't believe. And they would leave him behind every time. So this day it was freezing cold, snowing and all this, and they could walk to their church. And so the wife and children, they bundle up and they walk to church and he won't go. Because he doesn't believe the gospel. He doesn't believe what everybody's saying about God coming as a man. He just didn't buy it. So as he's sitting there, he hears the barn door has blown open. And as it's, and it's, and it's kicking around, he can hear it out there. He looks out, and a bunch of baby birds had fallen down on, into the snow, and they were down on the ground. And they were out there, and he realized they were going to freeze to death. So he goes out to them, and every time he would try to get them to move, they would run from him, and they would flee, and they would go the other way. And he's trying to get them into the barn where he can shut the door, and they won't freeze to death. And all of a sudden, in the moment, he gets frustrated. And he said, if I could just be a bird, if I could somehow be a bird and get down there with them and say, let's go into the barn so we don't die out here. The barn is where we need to go. And the minute he said that, he heard the church bells ringing. And it clicked with him. If I could just be one of them, and then I could communicate directly to what they need to do. And it clicked with him. I can remember sitting in that studio and I thought, man, this guy can tell a story. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I thought to myself in that moment, I felt a closeness to God. Now, sadly, I, I would reject it and move on, but I still remember that being one of those times when he was calling, saying, I am who I say I am. And I certainly believed in him intellectually, but I wasn't ready to submit to him and repent of my sins. So Jesus, the God-man, entered the world to bridge the gap. We talked about that uh, just last week. I was sitting down with one of our brothers in here that's wanting to know how to share the gospel. And if you've ever, I can remember so vividly, um, Brody, my, my wife is sharing the gospel with him. And what did we do? We did the diagram, the bridge. I mean, over here is God and over here is mankind and here is sin and we're separated from God. I mean, God's holy. How many times have we talked about that in here for the last four years? God's holy. Sin cannot enter in the presence of God. So God had to go get us, and then Jesus goes to the cross, and He provides the bridge. When, he, when, he repent, when, when, when we repent of sin, it's been paid for. And He says, it is finished. I've paid it. There's the cross. It's the bridge that takes sinful man through Jesus and brings him into the presence of a holy God. Amen. The God-man became the bridge. That, that's our hope. And I remember so vividly, little Brody, he, he, was, he was already figuring out the gospel. And I remember Sherry said, she said to him, well, what do you think about that? And he goes, what am I doing over here? I, I want to be over there. And, and, and so in, in his childlike mind, he, he, he had faith in Christ. And certainly he's continued to grow in his faith. And, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the day that he was baptized in, in our pool after our youngest son had gone to heaven. And, and that was kind of our way and of standing there in that service and saying, hey, this doesn't belong to you. Uh, this is not going to be a, a place of death and despair for our family. We're going to come down into this water and we're going to baptize our son. And we're going to say no matter what has happened, we know that God is in control. And this does not belong to evil. This does not belong to death. This belongs to Jesus. This son belongs to Jesus. He's made his decision. We baptize him in the water, but you baptize him in the Holy Spirit and he's yours. Amen. And I'm going to tell you what, that, as of right now, that one's walking in it. And I pray that he continues to walk in it. So, so we know that, that he's provided the bridge. So 
We now get into to what he has said. So, so let's get to where we are, and then I'm going to tell you where we're going next. So we've gone through, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, meaning Jesus was there th from creation. He is the beginning with God. That's covered. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. John's saying, I want you to understand who I'm talking about. In Him was life. Now you're going to see this a lot. John is going to use Jesus as the life so many times throughout this gospel because in him was life. This means what I said before. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have life. You're dead. Amen. You're dead. You're dead in your sin. You're dead in your trespasses. That's why he says, I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. So life can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you have tried to live life without Jesus and you realized you, it didn't feel like life, did it? It felt like death, didn't it? Right. Despair. So he is life. And he says, so, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, let me tell you about this light with Jesus. And it happens in here. The beautiful thing is he illuminates all the darkness in the world, praise the Lord. But you know what else that light will do? It'll shine on you. Exactly. That light will shine on you and it'll shine on me. And you know what it'll show you? When you get in the presence of Jesus, just how sinful you really are. All this justifying who you are and it's not so bad and all that, that, that goes away because that light, that light illuminates into your life. And he says, you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to point out how sinful you really are and how much you need me. How much you need me. We'll unpack that a lot throughout this because he's not going to leave that narrative alone, by the way. So then it talks about John the Baptist, which we'll get into next week. One of my heroes. So in six, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He just talked about the light that all may believe in him. So why did John come? To bear witness to the light. I'm bearing witness that Jesus Christ is coming. And he says the reason why he was doing that is so that, 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 that we would know that, that if he came and we believed in him. Now don't miss what belief means here. In, in the, this is not intellectual belief. This is the kind of belief we've been talking about for Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. I could sum it up in two words. Salvation belief is to trust and obey Jesus. Not to earn salvation, but as a result of salvation. I trust you, and I am saved by grace through faith, as we talked about. But my faith and my pursuit and my action, meaning I'm showing you I believe in you, then the, the power that only He has is now afforded to you, and it changes everything. Amen. That, that, you know, the demons believe in Him intellectually. And that's what the problem with some of you. You, you believe in Jesus like a demon, but that, that's not it. You trust and obey, and then you're sanctified and forever changed by the power that is Jesus. So, so John is telling that, and he says, and John, I love this. He's letting everybody know, look, I'm not the light. I came to bear witness about the light. And see, that's what we need to do. You, if you want to make a hero, John the Baptist. Now, some of you are saying, I don't know that I want to be the hero of the guy who gets his head cut off. <laughs> well, if you do this Jesus thing right, you may get your head cut off. Amen. I'll tell you this, you may, you'll figuratively get it cut off all the time. And one day you might even physically happen. But figuratively, you'll find that the world doesn't really care for the light. I look, I, about my own life, y'all heard me talk about this. When I was lost, I didn't want to part of the light. I couldn't wait for the sun to go down. I never thought I'd be a person that would look forward to the sun coming up. I wasn't a morning person. They told me I was going to morning radio. I said, who listens to that? 
I, that's, that's a true story. That's not even a joke. And, uh, and they said, everybody who lives a normal life, you know what I mean? And uh, I didn't know people got up and went to work and had a, had a day job. What was this day thing? And so, because uh, I'd been working. You talk about the ultimate job for a center. I had to be at work at 1 p.m. I did commercials to, to 3 p.m. And I worked to 7 p.m. And I was back at it. And didn't have to be at work the next day to 1 p.m. By the way, don't wish that on your kid that anybody have that job. That, that's a job set up for trouble right there is what that is. So, so anyway, so, so the darkness is where I was comfortable. But when the light came into my light, life, Jesus illuminated how sinful I was and how dark the world really is. I didn't know that. I didn't see it that way because what? I was dead. And the spirit was dead. I was all flesh. So John the Baptist says, I'm not the light, but I got to bear witness about the light. Then verse nine, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. So you got to understand, we, Jesus doesn't declare himself to what the John the Baptist is about to do it. But he doesn't really do his first miracle till he's, you know, 30 years old and he, he's there at the wedding. So he's been in the world. And John says, and the world didn't really they didn't really know him. But, but, but he's, he's in the world, uh, and he says, now we're about to get to know him. And, and the world did not receive him, but look at 12. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So what he's saying is, even, even this time he spent in the world, even the three years of his ministry, even to the cross, even to the resurrection, there were people that just didn't receive him. They wouldn't believe in him. And he said, so those people did not receive him, but the ones who did who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, trust and obeyed, he gave, repented, he gave the right to become children of God, to be co-heirs, is what Paul says, with him. Look at 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You must be born again. We'll get to Nicodemus as we go through our story. How can I re-enter my mother's womb? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying, what he's saying right there, if you have not been redeemed, then you just have blood and you just have flesh and it's all going to die. Yes. If you want to become a children of God, then you've got to be born again and your spirit has to be made alive because we're spiritual creatures. We're spiritual creatures. But the spirit's dead if you have not been redeemed by Jesus. So guess what's running your life and what's running my life? The flesh. The flesh is winning. So then 14... Let's talk about this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he goes to 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Yes. Meaning John the Baptist kept talking about this, and people kept saying, Are you the Messiah? No, and we'll get into this here in a minute. So when we look at, at, at what, what he's saying about the response to the word, the response to Jesus, is some people did not receive him. Some people responded in a, in a right way. Let's unpack that a minute. There's three levels of human response, and that's what I was touching on about the demonic faith. And you need to be sure that you get this one right. There's the historical response, and you see this all the time. If you've ever gone out and done any witnessing, especially on airplanes, you know, remember, witnessing on airplanes is always good because they got nowhere to go. They can't jump off the plane. They can ask for a, a new seat assignment, but they normally don't get it. So when you're talking to people, a lot of times you'll get the, they want to get rid of you on what? The I believe in, yeah, hey, Jesus. 
He certainly is documented in history, a person claiming to be this Jesus person y'all talk about. We don't argue against that. My response to the Word is that I think it historically is right. Jesus, the person, existed. And then the next one is what? Intellectual. I believe that he was a good teacher. Uh, I certainly believe he was here. I believe that if people would live more like Jesus said to live, that we probably would live in a better world. You ever been around that? See, and then there's the one that we're looking for, and that's the personal. See, anything other than a personal commitment of one's life to Jesus Christ as the way, the life, and the truth, and the embodiment of life itself, guess what that falls into? If you say, I historically believe in Him, I intellectually believe in Him, but you do not commit your life to Jesus Christ as the only way, the only life, and the only truth, and the embodiment of life itself, guess what category you fall into? Rejection. Rejection. You can't have it that way. C.S. Lewis, he talks about this. I mean, you, you, Lee Strobel talks about this. These people that were kind of seeking, and they realized the more that they look at the claims of Jesus and the claims of those who were his apostles, you can only come to one conclusion. He either is 100% man and 100% God, or he's a liar and a loon. See, so you try to find this little comfort spot. Is there some way that I can just kind of take Jesus a little bit and I don't have to make him the whole embodiment of life and I, I, I can say many ways to heaven and, and I can say he was a good teacher and, you know, and yeah, he was a little cooler than a hippie, you know, and, and this kind of stuff. And I like all the stuff about love and stuff. Yeah, but see, he talked about a lot more than just love. He, he talked about truth. And you know what he said? There's only one truth. I'm having that conversation with somebody right now who, who, who just said to me today, well, now I want you to know that I do have some faith. And I say, yeah, but there's only one truth. <laughs> I don't, your faith may be that we're all going to work ourselves out and you're, going, you're in the church of Oprah. We're all going to get there somehow. And, I, you know, that's faith. And uh, I said, but there's only one truth. You're right. There may be many faiths, but there's only one truth. And Jesus said that he was the truth. And he said, there's no one. Now, I'm already jumping ahead to chapter 14. But no one is going to come to the Father unless we come through him. That's it. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Not if you have seen me, you've seen a guru. If you've seen me, you've seen somebody that's got some, some I'm a life coach. I'm the ultimate life coach. That's not what he said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I embody all life. I'll be the only way for you to walk into the presence of a holy God. So remember, this is not, you can't play games with this. If you reject the deity of Christ, that's total rejection. There is no other place to land. That means that you would fall into the category of rejection, demonic faith. You would fall into the category of lost the other one is the, 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 these other reactions we talk about too when he talks about 14 through 18. Look at these verses. When he talks about that the, that the Word became flesh. So what is the relevance? Uh, why is this relevant to what we're talking about, the incarnation of the Word? And you'll find most of this in verse 14 through 18 that I just read. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it or write this down, Hebrews 2, 17. I love this, the writer of Hebrews. For this reason, he, talking about Jesus, had to be made like his brothers, meaning human beings, in every way. 
in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. That's what I just said a minute ago. The writer of Hebrews says it has to be this way. It has to be this way. He, how about Jesus had to be made like his brothers, human beings, in every way, meaning that he is going to be tempted. There's nothing that you can come to Jesus, nothing that you can come to Jesus and say this, this, and this. He goes, I don't know. I can't relate to that. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a human being. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. I mean, you, you even see this. The, the, I love when these parts of his 100% humanness come to the top. Capillaries bursting in the garden, thinking about the cross and the wrath of God being poured out on him. And he says to his father, like a human being would, is there another way to do this? But then being the perfect example of obedience, resolute to the cross when he didn't get another out. And he, he may be, I love him. We'll get to this in the Gospel of John. That when he's even starting to discuss with himself, you know, my heart is troubled. But why is my heart troubled? This is the whole reason why I came. He knows, the, he knows the crucifixion is coming. Why am I troubled? Well, that's his human side. Because I know that I came here for one thing, and that's fulfill the will of my Father, which is to get to that cross. But it's not like it was just, you don't ever get in your mind that that, that, that trip to the cross for Jesus was easy. There was nothing easy about it. Because, and, and, and it, you crucified him, I crucified him. It's on us. And, and, and he loved us enough that he did it. But the writer, the, the writer of Hebrews says, he must do this that he might become the merciful and faithful high priest for us in service to God the Father that he might make the right atonement. So it will be done for the sins of the people. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, and, hey, and amen to that. So I love Hebrews 2.18. Write that down. On, the, on this part about he made his dwelling among us because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Why did Jesus go out there and allow himself to be tempted? So he could say, yeah, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Huh? Hey, I told you I struggle with gluttony. Satan might have had me at the bread and the rocks. Hey, you hungry, ain't you, birds? I'm starving. Well, won't you just make these things into bread and eat them? He might have had me right there. You know, my wife will tell you, you don't, you don't want Rick to get hangry. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let him get hungry and tired and hot. You don't want, you don't want to be around that. And uh, so, but, but what I'm saying is, this, why would Jesus allow that to happen? Do you think he, he had to be tempted? You know what I mean? He was tempted, so he, he, he said, I know what this is like. I'm going to be perfect, but I'm not going to be perfect without me having to, to go out there and be tempted. I'm going to overcome temptation so that you can come to me to overcome temptation. Somebody go to one of the most powerful books of the entire Bible, Romans. We did a whole study on that, which you can find at BurgessMinistries.com if you missed that. Uh, and we'll go to Romans chapter 8. We love Romans chapter 8. And we look at verse 1 and we celebrate, don't we? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in who? Christ Jesus. Hey, Jesus, thank you that I don't have to be condemned in my sin. Do you live a life of thankfulness for this, or is it something you take lightly? It's a really big deal that God came off His throne and became the Word incarnate and took on human flesh and says, I'm going to provide a way that you don't have to be condemned. Does anybody appreciate that? 
it, it's a much bigger deal than the ball games this weekend. I promise you it is. But some of you are more excited about that than you are about this. I hope that you're, you're, you're being awakened to this right now. I promise you that your football team will not escort you in the presence of a holy God and keep you from being condemned. But Jesus Christ will. Okay, and it's a much bigger deal. Yes. And he says, for the law of the, of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Hey, Jesus, you set me free. Let's look at 9 and 10 before we leave Romans chapter 8, because I love Romans chapter 8. Look at 9 and 10. You, however, this is big, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of the righteousness. Talking about the righteousness of Jesus. I am fully righteous. So what, what, what Paul is reminding us is what Jesus did for us. And he said, look, if this has happened, you really can't act like that this is going to be that you, you now have the flesh anymore. Jesus has set you free. There's no condemnation uh, for you. And, uh, and now you should be living like that's true. Right? You should be living like it's true. What have we said in these Bible studies? And I, and I hope, I hope that y'all got it. We got to stop selling the power of Jesus and the grace that he provided so very low. He's the word incarnate. He came into my life and he's just so weak. He can't change me. Is your life better with Jesus? I, I can't really tell. Let me tell you, you have not encountered Jesus if that's your, if that's your experience. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. That's just not possible. So let's look at, let's look at 16 uh, in, in John. Is anybody excited about this yet? <laughs> and from his fullness, oh, I love that. We have all received grace upon grace. Now here's what John is referring to. The infinite and never-ending resources of God in Jesus Christ to be conveyed to all who recognize and respond to Him. We receive one blessing after another. Look at, y'all, this is so good when he talks about the fullness. We cannot exhaust God's incredible gifts in Christ Jesus. We can't, it's never empty. It's, it's never empty. You know how, you know, I got the big Ram 1500 out there, but it'll get on empty and I got to go to the pump and fill it back up. But here's the question. If you ever, when you get to your point where you think your spiritual life is waning a little bit, do you go back to Jesus and get, it's full. That takes always full. I mean, I love what John says here. This, this ought to be something somebody pulls out and writes down. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Lord, you're holy, that great, great hymn, I can still hear in my mind the singer singing it as we say to Jesus, and I've had to say so many times, I love in that beautiful hymn, I don't know why you love me. I don't know why you love me. Why you show me so much mercy. See, that needs to be the attitude. Not justifying it and acting like that somehow you deserved and I deserved Jesus. We didn't deserve Jesus. And I don't know why you love me. And I don't know why you've shown me so much mercy. But thank you for giving me grace upon grace. Never do I come back to you with a repentant heart and you deny me the grace. 
Think about that. Because I got news for you. I love you, but you can come back to me on lot number 11 and I say, I'm done with the grace. I'll show you no more grace. Now, I'm not saying I'm supposed to do that, but I'll run out of grace. But you know what? Jesus doesn't. Now, again, you can't play games with him. But I'm talking about every time you come back to Jesus and he knows your heart's broken, you're saying, I don't know why I did that other than I just, I just, I just messed up. You know what he says? That's why I was on the cross. That's why I walked out of the tomb. That's why I said that through me you can have God in his fullness. I repent of that, Jesus. You know what he says? Okay. Then I don't hold it against you anymore. Grace upon grace and as long as we're repentant and we're sincere, we never exhaust it. That's big. Now that, that may be my takeaway today. There's a lot here. 17, we're getting close to being done for this session. I'm going to save John the Baptist till next week. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has revealed to us God the Father. And I love that. We talk about, you know, if we were still under the law, for the law was given through Moses, but then look, look at that semicolon, Paul's, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Anybody glad Jesus came? Thank you, Jesus. I'd hate to be sitting there dealing with, with Moses and the law and, and trying to see if I can figure out how to do all that perfectly. What I like is that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. Don't miss that. We're going to stop again. Semicolon. The only God. Don't miss that. There, there, is, there is only one God. And then he goes on to say, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. What he's saying there is, because if you don't read that and you don't look at the punctuation, you'll get confused. What he's saying is, none of us can truly see God in his fullness. As a matter of fact, are you ready for this? You want to get a little deep here? Here it is. I'm looking around. This is big. We know that Moses went to Sinai. And he came back and, his, and, and, and he was illuminated. And it says that he did see God face to face. What he saw was Jesus. Because there, there's, there's, not a, there's not a possibility for any of us to ever look at the one and only living God. We can't look at the Father directly without Jesus being the filter. So when Moses went up, now this, this, was, this was before Jesus became human flesh. But we know from the beginning that he has always been there. The Son has always been there. And so even when Moses was, went up to look at God, he really was looking at the Son. Because what did God say? We, I mean, the Father's already said, well, look, I'll, I'll come on by and you can kind of turn a certain way and I'll roll on by. But if you look directly at me, I'll kill you. So what he's saying is the reason why we also have always needed the Son is because without the Son, we can never see God. Amen. We, can't, we can't see Him. With it. We can't see the Father. But now we can. Because he says, oh, the Father and I, we're one. The Father and I are one. So I am, I'm standing before you, and I am saying, you know, this got him in a lot of trouble. I, I, by the way, never listen. If you don't know the Bible, you'll have people out there claiming that Jesus never claimed to be God. <laughs> what? 
I, how much more clear is if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? I mean, we got, what about, well, we got people tearing their clothes and all this stuff because he keeps saying, yeah, I'm, the Father and I, we're one. I have come to you. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Father. I'm coming. I represent everything. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, who can give that? The Father. And so, as we get ready to close, that's what we have to understand. This is why it's so important to, to go to the Gospel of John. I think that, that God delayed this in, this in this time period with this Bible study because I think for some of you, you need to see Jesus for the first time completely. And John's going to make sure you get that. The rest of us need to be reminded... You know, how many times have you ever been involved in anything? They say, you got to get back to the basics. You've kind of lost your way a little bit. And, and some of us has gotten to the point where we're taking this incredible, this incredible gift for granted. And it's time for us to go back and be reintroduced to Jesus because what John's job is to do is to say, here is Jesus. You've already been told he's the king. You've already been told he's a servant. You've already been told that he's the son of man. But I'm here to remind you that this is God. And I'm going to show you over and over again that he revealed himself that he was God as a man coming to save the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. And thank you for this introduction to this incredible journey uh, that we now are going on. I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to, to open our, our, our minds and open our spirits and, and open our eyes to be reminded of what you have accomplished. And maybe parts of the gospel that we didn't quite understand, that, that maybe we begin to even take this first introduction uh, that, that John has just given us to you. Uh, I mean, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't pull any punches. He's reminding us of who you are and what you've done right out of the gate. And I know even in my own life right now, I begin to think and, and, and I, I begin to ponder and I begin to worship how wonderful you are. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that's listening to this or watching this, and maybe today is the first time that this is starting to click for them. I pray, Lord, that you would have them reach out to somebody who, who maybe could explain this in a way that they finally say, you know what? I repent and I, I want to receive this gift that God provided through Jesus. And certainly, if anyone's listening or, or watching and, and they can contact me, Rick at rickandbubba.com, and, and I'll, I'll be that person to, to help them. I pray, Lord, you continue to, to lay out the path and continue to sanctify us and grow us into the people that only you can make us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at BurgessMinistries.com.